1: Hello and welcome to the 602 Club, your local watering hole for all things geeky. I am just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing. And with me, as she is every single week, is the one and only Christy Morris. And Christy, I've got to say, it is freezing out here on the Atlantic. I should have bought a better coat. You
2: should have grabbed your slippers and the fur mittens, not the woven ones. Not
1: oh, the woven ones. True. And a sheepskin jacket, because that would have been yeah.
2: great. But, you know... It, it, It gets chilly out here when you're you know, fighting all
1: the wars with the U-boats and stuff. Mm, Man, fighting all the wars with the U-boats. I hate that. Mm, It's the worst. It's the worst. Well, I'm really excited because, you know, Christy, you do quite a few other podcasts uh, beyond the 602 Club, and we are really excited to have your co-host from Sabers and Spells, as well as Fangirls Going Rogue, and like so many other podcasts, if I were to name them all... We would just be here all night, and we would never talk about the movie. But welcome to the one and only Teresa Delgado.
0: Yeah, I'm so excited. Also really cold, by the way. It's cold it's out cold here. cold in Texas? No one... No... Where, hey, we're on the <laughs> Atlantic, dude. Jeez. <laughs> Stay in character. No, it, it's hot as stuff out here in Texas. It's like been 104 or Earth higher Earth. outside with like, you know, 5 million percent humidity.
1: I do not miss those days. Having lived in Dallas most of my life, I just don't miss those days.
0: Ah, uh, See, I actually really enjoy the heat. I don't like uh, being okay. cold at all. So, you know, it's <laughs> If I would not survive in other places. I'll put well, it Good, that
1: way. good. Well, I'm glad that we're all in the right places tonight, and uh, we're going to be talking about something new. We have finally have a new movie to discuss, and we're talking about Greyhound tonight, the new movie from Apple Plus. Uh, that they picked up that uh, Sony was going to release in the theater, but because of all the craziness that's been going on, Apple Plus was able to pick it up and release it, and it stars the one and only Tom Hanks, America's dad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. Sorry. And, you know, still looking good. Still looking good, I just got to say.
0: Oh, you don't understand. Do you you know the love of my life that is Tom Hanks? (laughs) Like... Are you aware of this love affair? It's on par with my love for Darth. Oh, wow. Maul.
1: oh, maybe oh, higher. And I so, know how much you love Darth Maul. Nah. So, if they like, would they have to fight for your affection? Like, would you make them duel? Possibly. No, not ever. Tom Hanks would never okay. do that. He was that's too... well, and he. I mean, could could he beat Darth Maul? I just don't think so.
0: Uh, yeah.
1: Hello. Maybe with love. Mm-hmm. yes exactly they'd probably be best buds by the end right
0: i mean he's been walt disney and mr rogers so come mm-hmm. on now
1: that's very true that's very true i'm pretty sure he could talk darth maul into coming to the good side actually probably and having maybe. a hug yeah <laughs> getting a hug <laughs> he'd just be like do you need Bring a hug <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So uh, we're excited to to talk about this. Uh, before we get into everything, of course, you remember just find us wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on uh, social media there uh, at Trek FM We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash Trek FM. There's the Babel Conference, which is our listeners only discussion group. You can join to talk with uh, all the different listeners from around the world. Uh, you can find us online at FM. You can send us an email at trek.fm slash contact. And if you happen to be on Apple Podcasts, uh, please do give us a star rating and review to let people know what you think of the show. And it really does help people actually find the show. Uh, and then last but not least, I want to say a huge thank you to our show producers here through Patreon. We've got Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Ryan Millett, and Daniel Noah. They've been supporting the show for years and years now, and we really appreciate them uh, making sure that not only the 602 Club keeps coming to you each and every week, but everything here on Trek FM. And so uh, we can't do this without you. Uh, it's too big of a network to do without you. And so go over to Patreon.com, so Trek Trek.fm, and you can be... Uh, Part of our team, we've got some great contribution levels, some some great perks, Um, but honestly, every little bit helps to make sure that all of the quality content keeps coming to you each and every week. Now, this is, uh, I would say, a very unique... uh, War movie. I've I grew up on war movies, uh, and so I love war movies. I've always been fascinated, and in fact, even before I really got into fiction as a kid, I was really fascinated by World War II. I don't really know why, you know. I I was always into like World War II and Titanic and the Alamo and all that kind of stuff, and so I have loved this kind of stuff. And not only that, but I have a real affinity for uh, old naval ships like battleships. I had a bunch of models like that when I was a kid and stuff. So I just wanted to ask both of you kind of coming into this where uh, you are with kind of your either love or like of war movies, or maybe this is something that really hasn't been your bag. Uh, So I'll say I've, generally have been the opposite
2: of that. It wasn't until college that I actually really got interested in history. Before that, it felt like everybody just forcing me to learn about stuff that didn't affect me, and I didn't understand why. Um, And so then, you know, in college, I finally got a really great history professor who explained it in a sense of how it changed the course of events that then led to today. And that really got to me. And so since then, movies like this have interest me a lot more. Um But until this, I had really only seen a few here and there.
0: Yeah, me, I'm the opposite. I'm more along Matt's side of things here. I grew up just obsessed with history and I basically double majored in college in history and have a historical paper in a historical journal that got published when I was in college, uh, about some stuff, not military stuff, other things, but I've been into war movies, not even just war movies, but just historical things since I was a kid. And my period of time that I've focused the most on was the American revolution, but also world war two as well. So, and it's kind of funny, not a lot of people know this, but my favorite non geeky movie is actually saving private Ryan. And nice. yeah, and I've seen, gosh, pretty much every like any kind of World War II or war movie that has come out, I've seen them all. I watch them and I rewatch them looking for details and compare them to historical facts. And then I read historical books and, you know, super history nerd over
2: here.
1: That's okay. You're welcome here. Yeah, no, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm right there with you, Teresa, because, you know, I it it's just it's one of the things I grew up with, you know, um, whether it was you know, all of the older movies like The Bridge on the River Kwai or 30 Seconds Over Tokyo or, you know, all those type of World War II movies, the the, the original Bidway movie. Um, so, so much there. And then, of course, as I got older, you know, there was kind of a resurgence, especially with Saving Private Ryan coming out. And then they did Band of Brothers, which oh, is one of the best series my ever. God. Yes. Uh, the Pacific, you know. And so, you know, all of that has really, I think, you know, um, and then you know, them kind of diving into other things like, you know, giving us like nineteen seventeen, which came out last year, which was phenomenal, and World War One. And so, you know, for me, um, I you know, I'm like you in in the sense, Christy, that um something just clicked and, you know, history is so important because it helps us know where we've been so we can know where we are, so we can know where we mm-hmm. can go. And so I I think um, it's really important for us to kind of remember that. And I think, uh, you know, movies like this are important for us to be able to see what previous generations went through, um, you know, to get us to today. Now, this is an interesting history movie because this is based on a book that is actually a fiction book, but it's based on actual events in the sense of, Uh, So the author is C.S. Forrester, who wrote the Horatio Hornblower series, which I've read some of, which is excellent. Uh, It takes place during the Napoleonic Wars, and he is really known for his detailed nature of his books, his intense study. And so he did the same exact thing here when he wrote this book called The Good Shepherd. And... He worked with historians to help make sure that everything was accurate, um, and so what I love is that um, they use this as a basis for the movie, um, so that everything that we're seeing really in the movie, for the most part, um, is not only um, right, but it it's it's we're getting to live the experience. So I think that's a really cool thing that we have this book. And now I have to get this book and read it because it sounds great. But this really was like, especially during the time period, this was a five day, they called it the black pit of the stretch of the Atlantic where the convoys would have to pass through where there was no air support that was viable. And so I, I love it. I mean, I just love it.
0: You know, and one of the cool things, you know, you're mentioning the book, but I think it's even just as important to mention, like to talk about Tom Hanks here. He's the one that wrote the screenplay. And he is also just as known for his attention to detail for everything that he's done with the Band of Brothers, specific from the Earth to the Moon, uh, John Adams. You know, all of the series that he's done, plus all of the through the decades series that he's done with CNN, Uh, I guess it was 2018 with 1968, you know, he's very, very detail oriented. And so there's no way that Tom Hanks is going to star in something and write something that is not as historically accurate as possible. So, you know, if you're looking for something more historically accurate with World War II, I would go with anything that Tom Hanks has done over, say, Pearl Harbor, which is kind of like, I mean, there's cool stuff in there, but also no, you know, and the one thing I will say about Pearl Harbor though, they filmed part of it on the Lexington aircraft carrier that's in Corpus Christi. And Mm -hmm. I've been on that boat and I've actually stayed on that boat overnight for a camp for like, um, so I've slept in Naval barracks not something everybody is built for so uh but it was really fun but I'm just saying like you know go with this or something (laughs) over Pearl Harbor
1: yeah yeah oh no I think you're right uh Teresa because and I think it's kind of the perfect marriage right so you have C.S. Forrester who is known for uh being somebody who's meticulous in his detail and then you have Tom Hanks and he's the same way because he wants it to be historically accurate and he wants to really be betraying um you know the the reality of what this is like and i think you know they do uh, together they they've crafted something really interesting obviously CS Forster is is not with us anymore um but Tom Hanks really takes everything i think from this book and you know he creates uh, something that is really visceral and feels very real, and and so um again, it's one of those things where I really wish that I had time, had had the time to sit down and read the book here before um we talked because I would have been really interesting just to see um all the details that that they had pulled out from that, but yeah, so I'm I'm fascinating then uh to to go back and do that. And one of the things I thought was really interesting is that the book is slightly more technical. Like they're pretty technical in the movie, but they did. They wanted to make sure that the audience didn't get lost. in, in the technical language that, uh, you know, somebody in the Navy would use a commander like him. Um, so I think they bridge that pretty well where it's like, you can pick up on all the lingo um, from what they're saying, but it's not so deep that you'll miss it. And and so I think they do a great job here in the movie of adapting that from the book and giving us as the audience a way to truly just be immersed in it and not ever feel lost. That's a great job that they did. Well,
2: and I, I think that's a good point, too, that when you're reading a story rather than watching one, you have to be more detailed because you're trying to paint a picture yeah, with words true. for someone, whereas in a movie, you need to cut down the language and show more than you're telling me. Like we've said a million times on the show about other movies, less exposition, more doing and so i really like that that they even for me who is not that big into world war 2 movies or war movies in general i understood what was going on in the movie because they're showing what they're talking about on the sonar uh, and then you know even though they're saying certain terms like down rudder i don't know what that means i get that it has something to do with turning right right
1: <laughs> absolutely and and yeah. then and then they like they right. showed you yeah <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, and they. It also helps that they had marine historians working on sets, you know, with the actors and stuff to make sure that things were coming across accurately yet clearly. With the help of the director, I believe on this one was Aaron Schneider. Is that right? I think that's right.
2: Yes, I think Uh, you're correct.
0: And so, you know, really trying to make sure that those things did what they were supposed to do, and one of the criticisms I've seen of this movie is that there was almost like there wasn't enough story there, but in my personal opinion, I don't feel like there really needed to be. The story was about this very specific small room on the bridge of the ship and what was happening over this five day period. And there didn't need to be a whole lot of whatever and dialogue. Like you didn't need that. And I don't know. There's something else I want to say, but I'm going to save it for later, just because I think it'll fit better later. Okay. But, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was just so
1: good. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree, Teresa. And I think I think that's a perfect transition because what I think that this movie, the goal of this movie, was shining a light on a part of World War II that gets overlooked, and yet, all the time, all yeah. the time, and 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 part of that is I think because. Um, the reality of the Battle of the Atlantic is that so much of it was mundane and boring. I mean, you've got these troop transports, you've got these cargo ships, and you've got these destroyers. And I mean, you know, uh, the wolf packs of U-boats could go weeks or months without seeing a ship. And then there would just be this sudden amount of action, right? And and so... um. It, it could be boring, but what's fascinating about this is this is legitimately the longest campaign of World War II because it lasts six years. And so it might not be the most glamorous part of the war, but it actually is one of the most important. And in Absolutely. fact, you know, you know, Winston Churchill himself, he coins the phrase, the Battle of Atlantic, deliberately echoing the Battle of Britain to yep. emphasize the importance because without this um, support to Britain— from the United States, I mean, we would have lost the war. Well, even to Russia,
0: even to Russia, there was support going to Russia as well, uh, you know, through the Atlantic. And I mean, it lasted from 1939 to 1943. But a lot to remember, too, is while this highlights a, a U.S. ship that's helping with this convoy, the. UK, you know, and Canadian forces had been fighting this battle without any assistance from the United States until September of 1941. You know, so once the United States gets involved, you know, it gets a little bit, I don't like crazier, you know, as far as the amount of stuff they're trying to trying to get across, because now the US is sending supplies and sending things, you know, in addition. So, I mean, there were times from all the things that I've read that there were U boats sitting right off the coast of the United States.
1: Yeah, you there know? were, and yeah, and and not only that, but I mean, uh, I was reading a, an article in the Smithsonian Magazine, uh, and they were saying that uh, the Allies lost more than twenty seven hundred merchant ships. Um, yeah, and and so uh, we this is this is again what's so fascinating about this is that it's not glamorous but this is what wins you a war is supplies and like you said it was supplies to not only help britain but it was also supplies to help our ally at that point russia um and uh, if this doesn't work if we can't get the supplies to britain britain most likely fails and falls and so um And it's one of the things I just read, The Splendid and the Vile by Eric Larson, and Churchill knows that without the United States entering the war, all is lost. Like, he knows there isn't a—they can't do it on their own. Um, And I like what you said, Teresa. You know, this is—this is— British ships this is Canadian ships this is American ships and they're all working towards the same goal and we even see that what I like is we see that in the movie because we've got two British ships Mm -hmm. here uh, as part of this convoy Um, and you know these these captains and these these men on these ships they're they have a very unglamorous life you know there's nothing glorious about what they're doing uh, and it's miserable In the Atlantic, uh, most of the year, you know, when you're doing this. And so, but without them, I mean, we owe them everything. Right. Right? Yeah. I I love it.
0: You know, and I think the dynamic is interesting because what, okay, so the Allies lost around uh, over 3,000 merchant ships and warships and all those things. There was only 783 U-boats that were shot down uh, in this area. Most of them... By the way, were from the British and the Canadian. (laughs) By the way, like 500 of them were the British and the Canadian. But these, it you like this whole era not really being focused on, and I'm glad that they're shining a light on it. Even though, of course, we're focusing on a U.S. ship here, but there's so many people that died in the Battle of the Atlantic, and they get no attention. But the ones, the ones that get the most attention in World War II are the battle in normandy and the holocaust and then there's like how many thousands of people that died in the atlantic and they couldn't keep their bodies for their families to bury they had to be they had to be put into the ocean like they show in the movie which was down to the details exact wow of what they did of stopping the engines gliding along you know all that stuff they did that exactly how it was done, you know, during the actual war
2: that I didn't know, actually. So thank you for saying that. Because, you know, once again, a little behind on my history. But I, I did think that it was really fascinating how the movie a made me then seek more information about this battle, as I hope it'll do for other people. And then also, the drastic difference in the time frame, because the movie, you know, when you don't know any other information about how long it lasted or how many people died can make it seem like it was this one big battle over a few days. So when I learned it was years and that it was six years and that it was this many thousands of boats and people that were casualties, it is just mind boggling. And then the fact that we won after all of that, It's, I mean, yeah, totally deserve props for every single one of them that was out there.
0: Yeah, DJ wouldn't have happened (laughs) had the Battle of the Atlantic, not taken, like, if they weren't doing everything they were doing. There's no way because they would have had to have, they couldn't have gotten over there, you know, much less to do all that. So, you know, the 80,000, I just found the number 80,000 allied sailors, merchant mariners, and airmen, and 30,000 U boat crewmen. It's yeah. a lot of I mean,
1: people, guys. It's a staggering amount of people. And I, I, I think what you were saying earlier, Teresa, is so important to this movie is that the story we're telling here is the harrowing existence of these men who are doing this job that's pretty thankless. Mm-hmm. And yet, it's so important because without that, like you said, D-Day doesn't happen. You know, we have to get those supplies from from the US to Britain, to Russia to allow those things to happen, you know. And so and we have to do that so that we can support our ally specifically, um, you know, Britain at that point which had, you know, it, it suffered from over a year of, of bombing by the time, you know, we get into the war uh and in at the end of 41 uh and so it's it, it's a it's a massive undertaking, and I, what I appreciate about the story is the way that it's so focused. One of the things I think, again, in shining the light on this, I think they do such a good job of not um, making a lot of extraneous story. Right? We're not telling the story about the crewmen down on, you know, like that. the The point of this story is to show what it was like for, especially um, these captains, to try and. Wrangle cats, which because when you're got to when you have, uh, you know, 40 ships, there's nothing glamorous about trying to get 40 ships to move in unison. Right. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. Uh, the the uh, the fog of war that happens. I mean, we see that is, you know, allies accidentally shooting each other as they're trying to shoot down U-boats. Um, and so there there's nothing pretty about this. And so I think just giving us the one focus of focusing on Tom Hanks as the captain really helps us then be able to just experience everything around him. And to me, also not elongating the movie longer than it needs to be really being focused on the, the, the time, you know, where it's, it's a specific amount of time. We got 50 hours and we break that up into four different sections um, of these different watches. And I just think that works perfectly for telling this story because otherwise you you run into that thing like you were saying Teresa where it's like the the Pearl harborness of things where it's just like you're you're actually ruining the enormity of what's happening by adding all of these super trivial and trite and cliched stories. Like, I mean, this don't is don't get not me cliched, wrong, right,
0: but don't get me wrong. I love a good love triangle between some really hot people, uh, but <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, in the middle of war, you know, and oh. and and honestly, like there's some parts of Pearl Harbor I love as a medical professional when they're having to triage people and stuff like that. And the nurses are like the whole nursing aspect of Pearl Harbor love. Love it, but no, I feel like with Pearl Harbor, they paid homage to what happened, you know, and there were a lot of families from Pearl Harbor that felt like they did a decent job, but I mean, it was made to be a blockbuster movie that's that's why they made it the way that they did. you know this right, one exactly. was made yep. for a totally different reason. Mm-hmm. You know, this one's made to be historically accurate. This one's not just because Tom Hanks is in it doesn't mean that they're trying to make it some big giant movie. You know, that's the great thing about a lot of Tom Hanks movies, right? He's in them, but they're not necessarily the highest grossing films. You know, they're good quality films. There's very few films that he's been a part of that have been awful, right? You know, so, you know, so there's that aspect of it, but. Like, when we're talking about story for this particular movie, there is one core human story in this movie. And it hits you. At least it did for me, which is Cleveland and Captain Cross. And it's so simple. It's as simple as... The Mess Sergeant Cleveland trying to make sure that this first time captain making his first crossing over the Atlantic, because you learn that at the end, that it's his first one. You know, they really make it clear. He kept trying to get him to eat and trying to get him to eat and trying to get him to eat. And he never ate, if you noticed, (laughs) over that whole period. Nope. Only drinks coffee. Yeah. And, And then... The guy that's trying to take care of the captain dies, Mm -hmm. you know, and it was, and it was heartbreaking. And you could see it in the, in Tom Hanks's eyes. Like he was just so like, what, why was he there? You know, why was he even in, you know, in harm's way should have been below decks. But, you know, at that point, I mean, it's true what they say. There were times where people on these destroyers were throwing stuff off the edge into the hulls of the U-boats because they were so close to each other. I think I read a story about someone who threw a empty case of Coca-Cola bottles like into one of the U-boats from the deck of of the destroyer. Wow! I mean, stuff like that was happening, you know? So it's just, but that one human story in it, And then, of course, I mean, we'll talk about the end, which, by the way, I was ugly crying. Um, But, you know, it was just that story for me. I was like, okay, that was awesome. That's all I needed. You know, I didn't need a love triangle between. Three very beautiful
2: people. Yeah, I I do have to agree. I'm glad that this one wasn't made to be that kind of story, that it wasn't all about the romance and, you know, the drama of that kind of thing. I did completely fall into this relationship between the two of them. And you're right. I mean, up until the point where he dies, he's just this gentle presence, kind of like a guardian angel or something. And then you kind of take him for granted. And it suddenly... Oh, he was one of the ones that's completely just mutilated, they said. Um, and he's just standing there stunned. And then even hits me harder when he mistakenly calls the new guy Cleveland. And I was like, oh, Cleveland's oh, yeah. gone. So, yeah, 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 I'm with you.
1: Yeah. When it goes to show just how much, uh, you know, these captains would rely on these people you know, to take care of them because they didn't have time to take care of themselves. And especially in the stress of this job. Uh, and, you know, I, I really, I, I'm glad that you called that out Teresa because I do think it, it is such a human story of seeing an one person truly take care of another person. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's true human connection. That's true human love right there. Um, and, I thought the 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 other part of the story where they give you Tom Hanks's connection um, with this woman that he's in yeah. love with at the beginning also helps I, again they do it at the beginning and I think what it, it helps do is show that, It's not just – Tom Hanks becomes representative. His captain becomes representative of all of these other men who are also trying to get home to the ones that they Mm -hmm. love. And so um, I really appreciate – I think they're so judicious with the time here, but they're able to tell a human story through his character in both of these ways. Um, And so you have this kind of brotherly love that that bonds all of these men together who are trying to survive – Um, But you then have the story of of, you know, romantic love that also keeps so many of these men going that they're trying to get home um, to be able to raise families, to be able to um, find uh, even have the opportunity to find the one that they love, you know. And so I think that there again, there is such a real human element to this movie. And to say that there's not really a story here, I think, is to dismiss the great work that they did. In, in crafting what I think of is one of the 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 better war movies that I've seen in in the last few years. Just because they know exactly the story they're trying to tell, and they tell it so well, and they never waste time. There's not a wasted frame in this movie. No. It's always giving you information. And so again, can't can't you know give them enough props for you know for this. I, also, I do have to say, uh, I love that um, you know we we get this uh, relationship with him in Cleveland, and he keeps bringing him the gift of life, which is coffee. You know, uh, and 100%. so like, coffee saves the day in the end. Yeah. Well,
0: something uh, I feel like I you know I kind of have to point out here as you know, being a person of color, I feel like it's important with these. All these period movies for them to highlight the relationships with people of color that did exist during this time period, you know anybody of color during World War two was they were not allowed to be soldiers on the front lines necessarily. They were doing all of these kind of like grunge work jobs of custodians on the ship, you know, or the mess people, or you know, people making the food and all that stuff. And I think it's important with this relationship is like, they almost show it, like you said, Matt, with that brotherly love that sees past that barrier of race. Because at that point when you're in the black pit and there's, you know, you and These people trying to take care of you versus the Nazis, you know, like you can't see those things, you know. And while there were a lot of tensions between race in, you know, different um, different companies of the military, you know, I this I like the fact that they highlighted how you can see past that. You know, mm-hmm. and especially being yeah. able to do it in a period piece, that's always really hard. And they mm-hmm. didn't have to show that. They didn't have to. But they made the choice to do that, which I think was really brave.
1: Yeah, to see true common connection, mm-hmm. like, you, you, what what is it that brings us together and to, instead of separates us? And I really like with that, Trish, uh, Teresa, I think you're absolutely right.
2: Yeah, that's kind of what I was going to say, too, that it it really shows that people in that moment as well are seeing what's really important, that we're all in this together, regardless of color, and that it's something that unfortunately took Cleveland's life. But because also he was there, willing to put himself in harm's way to help someone else. And that it was, you know, like we said that the captain kind of took for granted until he realized what he had. And I do love that they have, this as such a, um, like you were saying, Matt, like a, a human story. It's not that there's a lack of story. It's that it's not focusing completely on the boats, you know, that the focus here is about these few right. people. And I think too, it has to be said about how a captain's job is so difficult that it shows him really going through the emotions of, I can't believe that I just watched that boat of those thousands of people sink. Mm -hmm. And that like, they take a beat. Yeah.
0: Yeah, And having to make that choice between going to help another boat or trying to save people that are drowning, you know, and he had to make that choice. I mean, not only that, but like just with the way Tom Hanks played it, you know, They show the slippers at the beginning, like you said, Matt, but they kind of tie that in along with the little boat. Also, they tie the slippers in because he's been wearing the same shoes for however long and his feet are bleeding, which is just like, you know, crazy and like get some Dr. Schultz, bro. Uh, (laughs) But... You know, and he puts his slippers on but he's bleeding through his slippers and his his uh his sailors see bloody footprints as he just keeps walking. He's like, I you know, I don't have time for this. And they kinda give each other this look like, dang, you know, okay, this is who we're serving, which is just incredible. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I the people who have had the strength to do those kind of things in their life i don't know i have so much i have so much respect for that
1: and i i think you know that's one of the things that tom hanks really brings to the role is i think the thing that made this so um beautiful to me in his portrayal of this character which i mean honestly this movie is on his shoulders the entire time but what i think makes it perfect that this movie really comes down to him is that that's also what it meant to be the captain. And so that same uh, struggle you have as an actor to carry a film gives him probably some inclination of what it's like to be the the captain to have all of these lives. You know, you think about a, a movie, you know, you've got the crew and you've got the money that's being spent and everything comes down to you and your performance and making this work. And it's the same thing with the captain. And I think this is a beautiful movie about, you know, fortitude and perseverance. And Tom Hanks really shows that through this character and, and, and the absolute dedication and determination to see this convoy through is astounding. And really, It's a reminder that to all of us, and and especially the time period that we're living in, the only way out is through. Like, you just gotta go through, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think there's... That's the thing I love about when I read uh, history books about the men in World War II and the people in World War II who who make it through. Like, because you think of all of, of... the people involved in making this happen um it's not just the men on the front lines it's everybody at home it's the women who go uh to work in the factories to make the the planes mm-hmm. so that the men can fly the planes you know like you the, the the everybody puts their best into making this happen and there's something that sometimes i feel like we've lost a little bit in that, that we can 100%. all come together for a common cause, right? That's exactly what I was
0: going to say. <laughs> like t- in today, like in today's society, can you guys imagine World War III happening right now and us as a country being able to come together to do what we need to do to win? Because I don't see it. I don't see yeah. it. You know, I mean, that golden time in the 40s, you know, is gone of everybody being like, we are one country. Like I just, and maybe that's just me being negative, but I just don't see it.
2: Yeah. I mean, I completely agree. I feel like we're more divided than we've ever been. I don't know that it would happen at least the way it did.
1: Well, and I, you know, look, I, both of you are Star Wars fans too. And so what I, I, I think this just come down to, and and it's the genius of George Lucas, right? Is that he showed us, this path of selfishness and he shows us the path of selflessness and I think that's the thing that Tom Hanks is able to bring to this role he wants to be in the states and to marry this woman and to have a family and a life and yet he is called to this purpose of of doing the job that needs to be done so that we can win this war and he does it, and he selflessly gives himself, he stands on his feet for over 50 hours to make sure that as many people and as many supplies get through uh, to Britain as possible. And I think that there's just such a beautiful lesson in that, that, you know, there can be pain and there can be suffering, but in the end, the hardest things are usually the things that are most worth having, and they're most worth doing, and... To actually, you know, bring us together, it would it's going to take people being less selfish and being more selfless, um, rests wrapped up in our agendas and more just worried about the people, um, and seeing each other as human beings that deserve to be treated like human beings, you know? So I think this movie allows us to be able to see that from the human stories we saw, like Chris, uh, you were talking about, Teresa, with Cleveland uh, and the captain, um, that's a very human story where, where they, they see each other as human beings who need to be taken care of. Right. And, um, especially from Cleveland's side, he's, he's, he's doing this job. He's trying to take care of the captain because he knows that's what's he, the best way he can keep everybody else alive too. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, I think this all comes down to Tom Hanks just killing it. I mean, he's, he's acting his heart out. Um, And it's not in a showy way. It's so real. Like he just it just he feels like he's this captain and he feels like he has the weight of this convoy on his shoulders. And I think he blew it out of the water.
0: Yeah, I mean, we know this. Tom Hanks makes a good captain. Captain Sully. Captain Krause. I mean he makes a good captain. He's good at Captain Phillips. Sorry, I forgot another one. Uh, <laughs> his first name might as well Apollo be Apollo
1: 13. So yeah.
0: Yeah. There you go. You know, uh Jim Level. Uh yeah. But you know, there are there's a couple other things, and I hope you guys notice this. Okay. The whale sounds of the U-boats. Yes. I was like, why are they using whale noises? <laughs> Just like my- God, you know, every time they came by it, it was like this just creepy whale noise. And I don't know, I'm never going to look at Dory and whales the same way ever again.
2: Can you
1: speak whale? I'm not going to (laughs) right now. But she can. But I can I think you're absolutely right, uh, Teresa. The, the The sounds of war here were perfect, and the fact that they used the whale sounds to give you this that eerie, creepy feeling for the U-boats, I thought was a perfect choice. Because you know, uh, whale song can can sound beautiful, but the way in which they did it here, it made it sound uber creepy, with just using an organic sound uh and it gave it such life you know like uh and i think that's one of the things again we kind of know from star wars sound brings things to life in amazing ways and so giving the uh, a a ship just the right sound really brings something to life in a way that you you know uh so and and it's not only uh just that but i i just felt like you could also feel everything else from from waves to rain to the sound of the guns, you know, uh, just uh, the sound of the torpedoes. Mm-hmm. And, like, they did such a good job with crafting the soundscape for the movie. Um, and in a war movie, that's really important. And I think Tom Hanks has already shown that uh, with Steven Spielberg and his work with Band of Brothers and Saving Private Ryan, how important sound is. I mean, when you think about the Battle of Normandy there um, oh, and God. how much sound and, what, and that picture. That first 30 minutes, yeah. that's all it is. Yep. So it's it's huge. So they, they, they nail it in this movie with that idea.
2: makes sense, too, that they use the whale sounds for the U-boat specifically because if they're, for example, like a killer whale or whatever, it, you know... These are also submarines, whereas all of the other ships in the convoy are not able to submerge the way a whale would, for example. So it's like, oh, okay, it makes sense on another level. Killer whales are called orcas. First. Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and just to get super, like, maritime uh, and, 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 like, uh, you know, Whales have to surface for water mm-hmm. yep. uh, to breathe just the way that submarines did. In fact, we, we always think of submarines as being underwater all the time, but oh. World War II submarines spent more time on the top than they did submerged, and mainly that was because the, the technology wasn't per- as perfected mm-hmm. as it is now. So Yeah, they had to be um, able to
0: get a signal and be able to exactly. Uh, communicate. Exactly.
1: So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's just, a, again, that's a really smart choice that they had there. And I think that also plays into the realism of the film. They worked really hard. Obviously, you've got a ton of CGI in the movie. Um, but they shot a lot of the C-drama on the USS Kid, which is a decommissioned World War II Fletcher-class destroyer. Um, and they actually rebuilt uh, the cannon so that it would work which is amazing. Yeah. Um, and so they got a lot of this stuff there. And then what they added, I think with the CGI, and this is something that I was really impressed with this movie. Obviously this is going to be that type of film where you're going to have to use a ton of CGI, but I never felt like I was lost in it. It always felt real. And they I never and felt to like me, you they were just a, did Trans- a good transformers
0: job. movie. <laughs>
1: No, no. Which, you know, (laughs) hey, the first Transformers movie is fine, but I totally get your point where it's like, yeah, you just get lost in playing with how cool, quote unquote, CGI is where this it's like they created a consistent look and feel the entire time. So I'm never pulled out because a moment pops out where you're like, oh, well, that's CGI and that's not Right. They they really create consistency here, which is the most important thing for your brain when you're watching a movie.
0: And I think it would be even more spectacular in an actual movie theater. You know what I mean? It would have been like, Oh gosh. And the detail you probably would have been able to see that you can't see on your TV.
2: Yeah. And it, back to the whole sound design thing as well. I mean, I'm sure that that also was frustrating for Tom Hanks because he knows how much different of an experience it would have been in the theater.
0: Oh, he does. He actually he actually posted about it either on Instagram or Twitter or in an interview. Okay. He did say that. He said that he... He's, <laughs> I'm trying to remember the, ex- uh, the exact wording, but something along the lines of, not to upset my Apple over Lawrence <laughs> but I really wish this could have been in the cinema.
2: <laughs> of course he would this say was that.
0: Made for a, this was made for a theater viewing. And of course, you know, Apple's not going to get mad at him for yeah, that. Right.
1: They're going to be like... Well, no, and he's absolutely right. I mean, it totally is. And maybe, you know, if we ever get to be in the theaters at all this year, it would be cool if they just released it Um, As a film because it's ready to go and I personally would see it in the theater. I would love to see this again on the big screen, you know, and so
2: I please
1: do. Um, The other thing I so cool to me is that all of the scenarios that take place in this movie are based on actual historical events that that did happen in convoys like this, um, which I thought was great. Uh you know, the, the the close quarters action with the German U-boat, that is definitely uh a real thing. Um the torpedo not actually uh exploding on impact, but kind of like scraping off the side. Real thing. Um the uh like you mentioned Teresa, burial at sea, crafted in perfect detail. Um the only thing that didn't happen were those super creepy German transmissions Uh, But I felt like what they did is add a real menace. Absolutely. So I'm okay with them bending it a little bit.
0: I'm okay with that simply because if you're coming into this and you don't really understand World War II, you really need to understand just how villainous and disgusting the Nazi regime was. And there are like – that may not have happened simply for the technology of being able to actually match the frequency and to be able to broadcast on the Mm -hmm. frequency, but had they been able to, hell yeah, they would have done Mm it. Like there, there were people in the Nazi regime that were that horrible of human beings. Now there were also some that were just there because they had to be, it was either do that or I'm going to die, you know, and didn't believe all the propaganda, but then there were those that did
2: that were completely and I, wacko mm, yeah,
0: absolutely. And I loved that when they the first time that came on, I was like, "Turn that up Turn it
2: off! yeah, I made a point of mentioning that this had to be included in our discussion because it was so creepy, and I love his response that he goes over and he says, "Change the frequency now." yeah like yeah I'm Ugh. not gonna sit and listen to that
1: you you made a really important point too, because uh Teresa, you were just like we are reminded that they're human beings with the transmission that they are uh, they are men and and they are doing the job that they are supposed to do, and that brings it home that like as As awful as the acts that they committed are, you know you think about the fact that because of German U-boat attacks, you lost you know eighty thousand Allied soldiers and merchant marines, airmen like that's an insane number, right um but you know these guys were were doing what they thought was the right thing, and so there's there's a humanity and, and Tom Hanks's captain even brings out. That point, you know, um, and he doesn't necessarily he, he's glad that they took down the enemy, but he doesn't celebrate in the way of like celebrating their death. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a real humanity in that and said, yes, they need to be stopped and we will do whatever it takes to stop them. But I'm not going to dance over their graves. And I think there there's something that needs to be said for that, that, yes, we should be glad that, that the Nazis were defeated. They were awful and evil and, and, and especially everything that they stood for was evil. Um, but to to dance over their graves, I just, you know, there's something about that that, that dehumanizes people and, and that makes us do the same thing that they did, mm-hmm. right? They dehumanized people so that they could do evil things. Our goal is not to dehumanize people. Our goal should be like, you know, um, and again, please don't hear that I'm excusing nazism or anything like that it's it's the worst one of the worst things ever on the planet so
0: but i do want to throw in that you know while there were nazis that were just as bad there was absolutely 100 percent american soldiers that went over there and did really awful gruesome things that are completely uncalled for out yeah, of absolutely you know it happened it happens on both in every sides. war yeah you know so you know i'm definitely not saying that we never did that uh well we definitely did you know but can't take it back now
1: yeah yeah (laughs) absolutely and i i think that's an important point you know just to remember is like again that's where we can't just say oh we're better than them right you know regardless of who the them is you know um we all have faults. We all have to look at ourselves. And I think that's just the thing is I'm, I'm saying is it's it's not that Nazis weren't evil. We just need to have humility, you know, um, and, and, and if we had more of that uh, and less of, you know, us versus them, maybe we wouldn't have so many wars. Right. So. Well,
2: and I mean, the whole point, too, that no one really wins in a war. Yes, we came out on top after this. And thank goodness we did defeat the Nazis. But his point as the role of the captain was showing that that's still all of those souls that are now no longer here. And that, it, like I said, like nobody wins in a war, technically, because there's so many people on both sides that die. So I do like that he takes that moment to think about what just happened and doesn't celebrate. And like you said, Matt, dance on the graves of those people, even though what they stood for was bad, it doesn't make all of them
1: bad. So, I guess it all comes down to this, then, is what you would rate Greyhound. And so, Teresa, since you're our lovely guest, I think you should go first.
0: Ah, ratings. What are ratings? (laughs) What does it matter? Uh, You know, for me, with this, the only way that I can kind of rate this is if I compare it to other similar movies that cover similar content right you know and i would say if you're looking at it against like a saving private ryan or even against a band of brothers or a 1917 or i mean which is a different war obviously but you know similar kind of thing i would say for me it's probably like an eight or an eight and a half out of 10. I don't know how we rate things here, Uh, but (laughs) an eight out of 10 simply because I never, I never had a chance to breathe or feel like I could have gotten up to go pee. Like the second it started, I wanted to like look stuff up on my phone as we were going. And I was like, I can't because it's just like, boom, boom, boom. Like, it's just, there's no room. Mm -hmm. It's just constantly going. And when you think you're going to have a second, an officer's like, distress rocket on the port side. And you're like, well, dang it. You know, and they just kind of keep going, keep going, keep going. So, and that's one of the things I like, especially with war movies, because they can be so intense and some of the battles can just be like, whoa, you know, you just need a moment to like... Everybody you know hit the pause button, breathe, you know, and I know Christy, you've never seen Saving Private, Ryan, but you'll understand what I mean when you watch it, and after the first thirty minutes, you can you know actually get up and walk away, okay. which you can't do in the movie theater, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so like I don't know, like an eight out of ten, but i I thoroughly enjoyed it, you know, I do wanna talk about the ending here really quickly the Greyhound is relieved of its duty of escorting the convoy into Liverpool and they're going to go on to London. And as they're going, they're leaving it. All these soldiers from all the other ships are like cheering them on. Like, thank you for helping us make it here. And Tom Hanks is getting ready to go down to his cabin for the first time in 50 hours or whatever it is. And he's just brought to tears by the gratitude of all of the people of you're you had just helped us so much over these past five days and tears start dreaming down my face my husband looks at me and I was like shut up I was like it's beautiful <laughs> it was <laughs> you know I mean it was right so yeah okay well eight out of ten for me and he know. finally gets to lay down oh yeah. my
2: god I know <laughs> you feel that moment Yeah. So I think for me and Teresa, we flip back and forth. Sometimes I do out of 10. Sometimes I'm suddenly doing out of five. I don't know. Um, I never
1: know what Christie's is going to do. So she keeps me on my toes. Yeah, That's what I'm here for.
2: (laughs) Um, So I'm going to go with your direction here and go out of 10 as well. And I honestly give it a 10 out of 10 because I can't find anything wrong with it. Nothing to take back. Brownie points off for um, and like I said, it made me look for more information on the Battle of the Atlantic, so that I feel more informed on what happened for in real life um and I think that it was interesting too, and we didn't hit on this, but I'm gonna bring it up just because I think it should be, um, how certain parts of this movie were so biblically oriented,
0: yeah, that's how point. he
2: had the card on his mirror that yep. said yeah. yesterday, today, and forever. And it like that was the thing that kept him grounded and remembering what's important and got him through all of those tough days and I just thought that that was a really poignant thing to have,
1: yeah, I agree, christy um, and I'm right there with you, Teresa, in your rating like i I give it an eight out of ten as well. I think this was a phenomenal movie. I was really impressed by the, the, the production value of the whole thing. I think everything worked. I, as I mentioned earlier, I felt like the, the, the length of the movie was perfect. I thought the focus of the movie was perfect. And Christy, I really love that you brought out that idea because one of the things that really struck me is how I the strength to do this, I like how they couched this whole thing um, in his faith in the sense that he starts the day off by praying and then 50 hours later, when he's able to go to bed, he he prays and he gets into bed and he goes to sleep. And, like, there's a real beauty in that, um, that seeing that that's where his strength comes from. Uh, and and so, you know, again, something that's kind of been lost uh, to time, sadly, but I think a real beautiful thing. And so this movie, I, I would highly recommend checking it out. I think all of us, uh, you know, are, are saying... Go watch Greyhound. It's a great film. Uh, and so, now, uh, Teresa, we do something really fun on the show that before we wrap up completely, we give recommendations to listeners. And so, I'm really interested to see what you might want to recommend to the listeners that they check out after they check out Greyhound.
0: Titanic. It takes place in the same ocean. i <laughs> just
2: that's the only tying factor it takes place in the
1: same ocean. it's also on a boat it's also on a boat and people die I was going to say and then they should
2: listen to Lonely Island
0: (laughs) Uh, no okay if I was going to recommend something that you haven't seen it's kind of like what I told Christy when we first talked about this movie if you haven't seen Saving Private Ryan watch it and if you have but you've never watched Band of Brothers watch it band of brothers is amazing the pacific is great as well but band of brothers is really where it gets going it's also tom hanks's first mini series that he did for hbo and then he did from the earth to the moon you know but band of brothers it's just in the cast, the crew, the authenticity of the stories that they tell. There are things that will shock you and surprise you in Band of Brothers that you never knew happened. It's also going to make you want to go and read the book by Stephen Ambrose that's based off of, you know. So if you're really interested in kind of learning more about World War II, I would check those out and then Schindler's List because duh.
1: Yeah. Which I've also <laughs> never seen. <laughs>
0: Oh, Christy, you need to watch Schindler's List. Yeah,
1: you have to be emotionally prepared for that.
0: Schindler's for sure. List will break Ugh. you, but it's it's worth watching. I felt like
2: I had to be emotionally prepared for this one, but hey, I made it through.
0: Just hug Lucy the entire time you're watching Band of Brothers okay. and Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan.
2: So, so okay, my recommendation is going to be a little silly then, but it's going to piggyback off the fact that you just mentioned Band of Brothers. And it's a movie that also has brother in the title. Oh no. And it's Oh Brother, where art thou? Oh,
0: okay. I thought oh, okay. you were gonna say yeah. stepbrother, and I was like, I know Brother see Bear.
2: <laughs> Did we just become best friends? <laughs> I was gonna say brother bear. That's what it was. <laughs> no. Uh honestly though, like I don't know why. I was just thinking of it the other day. Oh, uh, because my father in law climbed in the dog pen to make a joke. I don't remember why. And I said, Isn't that a song? He's in the jailhouse now. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, Oh Brother Where Art Thou is one of my favorite movies. I'm seriously saying go watch it if you haven't. Find it and watch it.
1: I have uh, HBO Max these days. uh, And one of the things uh, they just released on that, uh, the movie that came out last year, Midway, which I would say this, you know, it's not the greatest war film but I think what it does a great job of is creating, like it does a great job of showing the context of how important that battle was in yes, the Pacific. And absolutely. It's, uh, some of the performances are not great, but some of them are. And uh, it, I just enjoyed it. And I thought um, they did a, the thing, one of the things they did a really good job of is show you just how freaking scary it was to fly in those type of planes back then. I mean, yeah, on aircraft carriers at that point, And like their
0: navigation was crap. Yeah,
1: it's it, yeah. I mean, so the I, I don't love the movie, but I think it's worth watching just because of uh, the history behind it. And again, I thought they did a great job with um, creating context for not only what happens at Pearl Harbor, but just everything uh, after that, too. And it really shines a light on how important um, our code breakers became uh, yes. and being able to decipher these messages. And they really helped change the course of the war, not only in the Pacific, but also we we know over in Europe, too. So great um, for that sense. And, and it kind of fits with, you know, there's a lot of naval action uh, that you get. Um, and, yeah, it's definitely worth checking out, especially if you have HBO Max.
0: You know what another one is? And Matthew, you're going to have to help remind me of the name of it, but it's the, it's, it came out within the last couple of years. And it's the one about the battle for like that. It's like a Dutch, um, a Dutch area and a whole bunch of civilian boats had to go and get involved. Yes, Dunkirk.
1: That's yeah. a good movie. It looked movie.
0: good. I yes, haven't seen it is that an yet excellent
1: either. Movie. Dunkirk
0: yeah. is an amazing movie. Again, telling a story about something during the war that's kind of overlooked. Because not a lot of people know about Dunkirk.
1: And it's Chris Nolan, so it's mm-hmm. phenomenal. Uh it is I, I I rewatched it last year and it it's phenomenal. So Um, well, Teresa, so we mentioned before that you have a plethora of podcasts and so let everybody know, you know, where they can find you if they want to check out all the other things that you have going on.
0: One of the best places to find me is just on social media just look for at ice cold penguin on all social media platforms and that's where you're gonna find me and the stuff that i do and i share when there's new shows out i do shows for star wars i do shows for disney i do shows for geeky things uh and also if you're so interested if you look for ice cold penguin underscore ACNH on instagram you can find all my animal crossing content Because I'm obsessed with Animal Crossing,
2: (laughs) and you have a YouTube channel that I've watched.
0: Oh, I do, I do, (laughs) and but not everybody like not everybody's into my YouTube channel. There's like six thousand subscribers, but it's not it's not our general group of people. Matt's looking at me like,
2: "What? That's a big number." I do.
0: I do. It is a big number for a YouTube channel. If you're at all for whatever random reason interested in paper planning and diving into playing with stickers on paper, I have a YouTube channel about that. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty good. People seem to like it. Uh, But you know, it's just one of those, one of those weird things. My mom recently, you guys will get a kick out of this. Maybe I can give you the picture for your show notes. She made a pie graph of me as a person. And each section is 5.3%. And it's got, I don't know how many pieces that make up this pie graph, but every section is 5.3%. She drew it on paper and then put it into a computer. So if you would like a pie graph representation of me to understand why I have so many things in so many different areas look at the picture they will have in their show notes. yeah i've got
2: to see that <laughs> and now i want one can your mom make one of me <laughs> uh. <laughs> you'll have to spend some more time okay. with her but yeah she could <laughs> oh man
1: where can everybody find you christy
2: uh you can find me at bespin bell on instagram twitter and tiktok uh i don't have a youtube channel what what, what? <laughs> We'll see how much longer TikTok TikTok lasts, but, you know, we're here while it's here. And uh, then also I do a couple of other shows other than 602 Club. Um, As we mentioned earlier, Teresa and I co-host, and we'll have a surprise soon, um, called Sabers and Spells on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network Skynet. And we talk about Star Wars, Stranger Things, Harry Potter, whatever geeky stuff we want. So hope you'll check that out. We're at Sabers and Spells on all social media as well. And then I do a show called Planet Leia on the Fanthatrax network once a month uh, with five other women from around the world talking about Star Wars.
1: Awesome. Uh, And then you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero. I'm all under the name MattRushing02. Uh, you can also find me here on the network when Chris Jones and I get a chance. We talk about Star Trek D-Space 9 on The Orb. Now, on the Nerd Party Network, I do two shows. One is called Owl Post. I do that with Drea Kaufman, and we walk through every single chapter of Harry Potter, one chapter at a time, and we are in the Deathly Hallows now. So, who it's getting good. Well, I mean, it's always been good. So, it's just getting really, 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 really good now as it all comes together. And then... I'm doing aggressive negotiations over there with John Mills as we're talking about a new Star Wars topic each and every week, which is a blast. And then last but not least, you can find me doing cinema stories. We're hoping to be back soon, and I'm doing that with my friend Courtney as we talk about films through the lens of faith. But thank you so much for joining us this week. And y'all come back now you hear.